0: It's Friday, December 24th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Professional dog trainers are having to deal with an increase in misbehaving pandemic puppies. Because of quarantines and shutdowns, many first-time dog owners didn't properly train or socialize their pups, which led them to be overly reactive or have separation anxiety. The big worry for these trainers is that if people can't get dogs under control, they may be surrendered. Bailey Berg, contributor to Vice News, joins us for more. Next, how many times have you gone to McDonald's for a nice frozen treat only to be told that the ice cream machine is broken? One couple attempted to get to the bottom of why the Taylor ice cream machines that McDonald's uses are always breaking and found that there's a secret repair menu that most workers don't know how to access, which forces them to contract the manufacturer for maintenance. This couple eventually created a way to hack the machines only to have Taylor and McDonald's stop Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired, joins us for the fight over hacking McDonald's ice cream machines. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: I spoke with a couple different dog trainers, and they were across the board saying, hey, we've not seen this level of reactivity, we've not seen this level of anxiety ever before. It's something completely unprecedented. And we have successfully trained dogs for
0: millennia. Joining us now is Bailey Berg, contributor to Vice News. Thanks for joining us, Bailey. Thank you. Wanted to check in on the pandemic puppy generation that we are seeing grow up right now. According to a lot of dog trainers, they're seeing a huge number of them with uh, severe behavioral problems separation anxiety, being overly reactive are kind of like the top two things that they're struggling with right now. And, uh, you know, for a lot of dog trainers, they're booked up months in advance with other clients and people desperately need help. They don't know what to do to control their puppies right now. So, uh, Bailey, you took a look into all of this. Tell us what's going on. So
1: I spoke with a couple different dog trainers and They were across the board saying, hey, we've not seen this level of reactivity. We've not seen this level of anxiety ever before. It's something completely unprecedented. And we have successfully trained dogs for millennia. So the fact that now the issues are more challenging is somewhat indicative of everyone getting pandemic puppies and maybe aren't as you know, maybe they're first-time dog owners and they just weren't really sure how to train their dogs, particularly during a pandemic where they couldn't go to a trainer or couldn't socialize their dogs.
0: Well, you know, as the the quarantine started uh, picking up last year, you know, a lot of people were pointing to getting pets as a fix for, you know, being lonely, for kids that were at home that needed some more activities. Everybody turned to kind of uh, adopting pets and we were hearing stories about places kennels uh, everybody everybody getting dogs and whatnot a little bit on those numbers there was about 12.6 million households that took in pets between March and December of 2020 you know so everybody was making it as this big thing those numbers are actually um, adoptions were actually down last year but still it became one of those things that everybody flocked to and and you're right as you mentioned a lot of them were first-time dog trainers so in you spoke to a number of trainers what did they say about how things should have been done We always hear you got to start training very early with all of this.
1: That was a big thing was that people were just at home. So they weren't really training their dogs. And then once they started going back to work, it was a very jarring experience for their dogs who were very used to one schedule. And one of the things that the trainers were saying was that if you are going to go back to the office, you should start working with your dog a few weeks ahead of time, you know, get them used to you being out of the house. So many dogs had problems because they were so used to, you know, their parents being home all day long, getting to go with them on car rides, that kind of thing. So getting them prepared for what the new schedule would be like was something that apparently a lot of dog owners didn't do. And then what the trainers was saying is that, Where there's confusion, there's conflict. Or sorry, where there's, yeah, where there's confusion, that's where conflict comes from. When the dogs don't know what they're supposed to be doing, that they don't know that they're going to be fine, that's when these issues become more apparent.
0: So let's talk about the two main things that are happening with these pandemic puppies right now. The first one is being overly reactive. And and my own dog kind of I see this part of it in him. Uh, My wife worked from home throughout the pandemic and he was there the whole time with her. They basically isolating in the apartment for most of the time. And, and I see these uh, kind of symptoms, I guess you could call them being overly reactive. Just any little thing kind of throws him off right now and he'll start barking right away. So this is one of the main ones for dogs right now.
1: Yeah. So one of the issues is that dogs are being a little bit more reactive and you know, a lot of that, especially with the new new dogs brought into the home, uh, it's an issue of just not getting the proper stimuli. You know, if you are home all day and you've never experienced being in a crowd, being around people that aren't your family, that can make it really stressful for a dog, especially if, you know, it's been quite a few months and they expect that, you know, this is how life is and then being taken to a situation where it is not that. uh, It can be jarring. Yeah.
0: And then things like barking at the at the mailman or something like that. The mailman eventually <laughs> is going to go away, right? And they're not going to stay at the front door forever. And in the uh, the overreactive dog's mind, they think, well, my behavior made that happen. It made that scary person go away. So it kind of reinforces that for them. And, uh, and they might continue that. The separation anxiety, as we kind of were talking about, that was the other one that uh, you alluded to, kind of having to train them ahead of time. Hey, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Everything's going to be okay. Because if uh, they're left to their own devices, they might be getting into some trouble. And the big worry for all the, a lot of the dog trainers that you spoke to is that they just simply don't have enough time to handle all of these cases. And they're afraid that, uh, you know, people could get tired of it, maybe surrender the puppies, and then they'll end up in the dog pound later on.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's not an unwarranted concern. It's something like 20% of dogs that are surrendered end up being put down because of overpopulation problems. So definitely, you know, a valid concern for dog trainers that, you know, I mean, they're people that love dogs, so they want to do what they can to help as many as possible.
0: And the big thing that dog owners need to understand is that, that it takes time with all of this. You know, it's not just, uh, hey, uh, send him away to some uh, some training and he's going to be fixed right away. Uh, You know, it takes time to develop that and and really set it in their mind. So it's kind of something that we've been hearing about a lot lately, just these pandemic puppies just out of control. So we'll see how all of this uh, improves as time goes on. Hopefully it does. Bailey Berg, contributor to Vice News. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: And yeah, McD Truth was the one who described it as a, like an Italian sports car, where when it works well, it's it's an incredible display of efficiency. And they can put out like 10 ice cream cones in a minute with one of these things. But they just break constantly because they're very fragile and finicky and over-engineered.
0: Joining us now is Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Glad to be here. You wrote a very interesting story about the McDonald's ice cream machines. They're always broken. They're the butt of jokes on social media. There's tons of memes about it. There's websites dedicated to trying to find out which machines are working and when. There's so much interest (laughs) surrounding these ice cream machines. But there's this secret code that is actually on the machines. And you can get into the machines, kind of see all the inner workings, uh, details about what might be wrong. But there's this whole ecosystem where McDonald's buys these machines from a company called Taylor. They don't really put any of these types of codes in the instruction manuals, So the franchisees that buy these machines are often left to Taylor and their distributors to come out and fix them. And you profile a man in your story. His name is Jeremy O'Sullivan, who created this hack to get into the machines, let these people know what's wrong with the machines. And it just started this whole war between McDonald's, Taylor and Jeremy O'Sullivan and his partner. It's a really great story, Andy. So tell us a little bit about it.
2: Well, yeah. Um, Jeremy O'Sullivan, who is one of the co-founders of this little company that you referenced called Kitch, K-Y-T-C-H, he and his partner, Melissa Nelson, they basically observed that there was this terrible problem with McDonald's ice cream machines. And I just checked, it actually, the number of McDonald's ice cream machines that are broken today in the U.S. Well, it's about 8%, which is enormous for a fast food chain. But in but in in New York City where I live, it's 20%. Like one in 5 New York City McDonald's ice cream machines are offline right now, according to mcbroken.com, which is a site that tracks this really closely. So this is a real a real issue and this little tiny company, I mean it's basically just Melissa and Jeremy, to be honest, uh, or at some point they started to grow. And then thanks to McDonald's and Taylor's efforts, they have kind of been squashed. But their goal was to sell this tiny device that lets you hack a McDonald's ice cream machine. And this was something that they were selling to franchisees, the owners of McDonald's restaurants, to put inside of their Taylor ice cream machine. And essentially, it would intercept all the data inside of it and then send it out to you know, a web interface or an app and allow you to kind of monitor the conditions of the machine and prevent it from breaking. And it works really well, according to a lot of the franchisees that I spoke to who had been using it. But then, as you might imagine, Taylor, the ice cream machine maker, was not happy about this. And McDonald's, their kind of corporate ally, uh, together, these two companies essentially went after Kitsch and destroyed their business, more or less. Right. So I tried to tell the story here of this kind of you know, two-year-long war between these massive fast food superpowers and this tiny little company and kitsch is now essentially just starting to counterattack, and they're planning a lawsuit against some of the franchisees who gave their device to taylor for to be analyzed and then also likely taylor itself and maybe even mcdonald's too
0: oh sullivan the way he puts it he says it's kind of a shakedown franchisees really have very limited information on how to monitor the device. That's why you have to call out the distributors and to come and fix them. So Taylor will sell these franchisees this complicated machine. It's very fragile. They don't give them all the information on how to fix it or why it's constantly being broken. Distributors come out and fix it, and everybody makes a lot of money on that front. So that's kind of how it goes. But let's talk about the machines themselves because they are pretty sophisticated on one front. Super simple on another front. And I guess O'Sullivan kind of said they're kind of like an Italian sports car. When they're working perfectly, they work great. But any little tiny thing that breaks down, then it becomes a huge mess. So let's talk about why these machines are so special.
2: Well, that wasn't actually Jeremy who said that. That was this other source who calls him or herself. McD Truth and they an anonymous okay, yeah. Twitter account that basically analyzes McDonald's secrets and is also they are also a franchise franchisee themselves and so they know a lot about how these restaurants operate and yeah, McD Truth was the one who described it as a like an Italian sports car where when it works well, it's it's an incredible display of efficiency and they can put out like ten ice cream cones in a minute with one of these things, but they just break constantly because. They're very fragile and finicky and over-engineered. And you have to disassemble them every two weeks to clean them. And there are so many parts that practically nobody seems capable of reassembling it reliably. There are like 25 or more different tiny rubber O-rings that you have to put all in the correct place or it breaks. It just doesn't work. Things like that. So this is essentially like a, it's kind of like a NASA level of complexity for an ice cream <laughs> machine. Right. And that's and- not a great idea when, you know, these are often operated by, you know, high school age teenagers who, who are not very invested in their fast food careers and don't know the ins and outs of all these technicalities.
0: It also has two hoppers and two barrels, so you can do a milkshake and a soft serve simultaneously. Not all the machines are capable of that. Uh, the ones that they sell to McDonald's are. And then they have this four-hour cleaning process, a heat treatment. If anybody's gone to a McDonald's overnight and they say, oh, the machine's cleaning right now, this is the other thing of why they might be out of out of service A lot of times is because they go through this rigorous four hour cleaning treatment and if it messes up, it's got to start all over. So that's another big component to this.
2: This heat treatment is really interesting because uh, if you don't have this kind of pasteurization feature in the machine, then the restaurant owner has to throw out all of the ice cream at the end of every day that's left in the machine. And so instead, this machine can heat it up and basically like kill all the microbes inside the mix, the ice cream mix. Before it's you know refrozen, wow. which is kind of gross, but also probably more sanitary than a lot of other machines. But the problem is that 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 cycle constantly fails uh, in these machines, you know, according to all the franchisees that I talk to, for reasons that are often really difficult to figure out. And when they when it fails, you have to start it all over. It takes four hours. There are sometimes prime time sales hours, and the error messages that the machine shows you when it fails are totally inscrutable sometimes. And you have to call out Taylor's technician right, to make exactly. sense of them. When in fact, you know, maybe it's just that you have like one inch of uh, too much mix, like in the in one of the hoppers, it's been overfilled just slightly. That's enough to make it break, and you have to spend hundreds of dollars to figure that out by calling a technician. And that's the kind of thing that Kitsch was designed to fix. But Taylor, you know, Kitch at least accuses them of essentially running this racket where uh, they basically want to make money from maintenance more than they want their machines to work.
0: Oh, right. And, and, and it runs up in the thousands is... for some of these franchisees who have to constantly call them out to service the machines. A little bit back to Jeremy O'Sullivan and how he got involved in all of this, he wanted to get in on the frozen yogurt craze, but he wanted to create an automated machine. I think early on they called it the FroBot. Uh, and what he was working with was a Taylor machine. And it started having some limited success. He got it into a few places uh, – Uh, Into a few football stadiums, I think it was. And then they started breaking down. He had to meet certain requirements. So this is why he kind of formed this kitsch device. And he later changed the name of the company to that. But this is why he formed that device so that he can start hacking into it and monitoring it for himself instead of having to constantly going out and making the service trips himself.
2: Yeah, exactly. Jeremy and Melissa, their first business model was to try to create essentially like a frozen yogurt robot that would be fully automated. And it was built around a tailored machine, like a kind of cabinet with a big screen and a credit card reader so that you could take people and real estate out of the equation and sell people frozen yogurt, just like in the handles or a pink berry or whatever. But the problem was that they discovered was that they couldn't keep these tailored machines inside of the frobot running. It was just constantly breaking down. They were having to drive out to the football stadium that you referenced to rebuild the Taylor machine inside of Robot all the time. And so they built this little device that uh, essentially was their solution to try to save their business, to monitor the data inside of that Taylor machine, to try to figure out why it was breaking, and then eventually gave up on Robot and made that little device their entire business instead, and which was a much more successful business. I mean, At some points, they had 500 of these little kitsch devices which have a, a subscription plan inside of ice cream machines in, in mcdonald's around the country they were doubling the number of them every quarter they yeah. told me and they planned to have more than thousands by the end of 2020 um before mcdonald's and taylor essentially cracked down on them
0: right and that's the that's the final part to this now they they had success with that kitsch device they franchisees were getting it. Other people that had these Taylor machines were getting it and kind of cracking the code and and helping themselves out a little bit. But then Taylor got involved. They tried to place order for these devices. McDonald's, as you mentioned, uh, we think that a franchisee might have got the device and sent it over to Taylor. And McDonald's got involved and said to send emails to their franchisees, you can't use these devices. And in the end, they essentially killed Jeremy's business with this.
2: That's right. Yeah, I mean, it began really with Taylor trying to buy the device, probably just to check it out. Taylor is also now selling a competitive device, their own internet-connected ice cream machine <laughs> right. that monitors the data in a very similar way, but it's it's still in testing. After working on this for a very long time, and Kitsch has been out for two years, Taylor still doesn't have a competitor truly on the market. But but anyway, they were trying to get their hands on a Kitsch device. Kitsch believes that that they used private investigators to try to get one. Um, Ultimately, um, they did get one, it sounds like, through a franchisee who essentially Kitsch is accusing him of violating his contract by handing it over to Taylor, and he will probably be involved in this lawsuit, unfortunately for him. McDonald's, I guess, in an act of kind of loyalty to its longtime equipment supplier, Taylor, in fact, you know, sells the grills to McDonald's as well as the ice cream machines. They took Taylor's side and sent this email to every franchisee that tells them that Kitch um, breaches the confidential data of the ice cream machines and can even cause like physical injury to staff in a restaurant, which all the franchisees that I spoke to thought was, was pretty far-fetched. I mean, it's it's possible this thing could, I don't know, could hurt someone if you turn an ice cream machine on remotely, but Taylor tells you to unplug it when you're working on it regardless. So, um, you know, if you're following that rule, then there is no (laughs) risk. I I don't believe. So this seems to me to be much more of like a, a heavy-handed way of killing off a competitor, but a competitor who actually was trying to make these machines work. You know, right? And, exactly. Um, if you want, if you want McDonald's ice cream, if that's your goal, if you want to go into a McDonald's and actually be able to buy their ice cream, then it seems like a very minor tragedy that McDonald's and Taylor teamed up to destroy this little business.
0: Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun to talk about it.